I do want to talk about divorce today. Why, why, why did we shift topics? Why did we move on and then quite uh, dramatically change topics like we did? Here's why. I, I was really interested last week. We just touched on it very briefly. It was one of the questions that came uh, from, uh, from everybody that was here. And um, I was really interested in the number of people that wanted to talk about divorce and uh, either share a story uh, share some of their heartache or ask a question about divorce and I just realized it's a topic we haven't spoken about as a church at any length in the past uh, at least not that I can remember and yet the scriptures talk about divorce so I thought uh, it's a great place for us to end uh, this series. Uh, firstly again I think it can be a help to people that have experienced divorce that's what we'll be talking about today and secondly Uh, we ourselves can have a better understanding of God's grace and God's warnings to us even on this topic. So our thoughts on divorce. And firstly, I just want to begin at what we believe is the biblical grounds for divorce. When is divorce permissible in the scriptures? And I'm going to be reading essentially from Matthew 19 uh, verses 3 to 10 uh, today. That's where we're going to be looking predominantly at. This is really the probably the key scripture that scholars go to when we're talking about divorce. So Matthew 19, some Pharisees came to test him, talking about Jesus. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man can give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. All right, so let's dig into this passage of scripture a little bit here this morning. You know, when Jesus is asked the question by the Pharisees about divorce, it says that they are testing him. What, what is that talking about? What, why and how are they testing him? Here's what's going on. There's basically two schools of Pharisees. There's the Uh, Shammai school and the Hillel school and they've got differing views on divorce and this is an age-old question well known um, uh, in in that season in that uh, in that era an age-old question was this question about when is divorce allowed the uh, Hillel school basically said it could be you can get a divorce for any given reason I mean they even cited reasons like if the wife burnt the food, can you imagine that? I actually talked about it. If the wife burns the food, you can give her a certificate of divorce. That's how liberal they were. Now, the Shammai school were right down the other end and they said there's only one reason, only one grounds for divorce and that is adultery. Now, what does Jesus do? How does he answer this? Because this is a big question for the Pharisees in this moment. Well, what does he do? He swings right up the Shammai end. And uh, he says it should be extremely hard to get a divorce. And, and in fact, the words Jesus used, the way he sort of 
plants himself in that camp, the disciples are shocked. We see that. They're like, man, what? who should get married is essentially their response. That is incredibly hard teaching is what they're saying. But here's what I want to say. Ultimately, I don't believe his answer is so much about divorce, although it is, but about marriage, about the hope that we have in Jesus with a heart that is changed in him to have a thriving marriage. I think that is the heart of Jesus in this, in this uh, scripture verse. See, the Pharisees, they want to know about the escape clause. And Jesus uses the phrase, I tell you. Whenever Jesus uses that phrase in the scripture, it's like him saying, there's a new way. See, I've got a new authority. There's a new covenant. I'll tell you a better way. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing there. He's saying, with me, you don't have to get a divorce. With me, you shouldn't be thinking about escape clauses. With me, marriage matters. With me, you can stay married. There's hope for your marriage. Stop talking about divorce and deal with your hard hearts is what Jesus is ultimately saying. See, the heart is always the problem. It's what Jesus came to deal with. Now, the other passage on divorce, which is actually very similar, is in Matthew chapter 5. It's earlier on in his ministry. It's on the Sermon on the Mount. You could almost call the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon about the heart. It's really where Jesus lays the groundwork of Uh, A heart that follows after him, he deals continually in the Sermon on the Mount with issues of the heart, the hardness of human hearts, the evil condition, the sinful conditions of human heart and in of human hearts. And in Matthew chapter five, he's saying, You don't have to be like this anymore. There is a hope that goes beyond all of these things. He's dealing with all sorts of things. He's dealing with lust in Matthew chapter five, contempt and anger. And he's saying, with me, this is not the way things have to be. With me, a heart can be changed. With me, there is hope. And if you think about it, it's interesting. He deals with these three things and more. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he goes on and he talks about divorce. And you have to see it in context of what he's already spoken about because anger, lust and contempt are probably the three primary things that are going to cause divorce. And essentially what Jesus is saying is if we've dealt with those things, you're not going to need a divorce. Divorce should be the last thing that you're thinking about because with me, I can change your heart. With me, there's hope. So jumping back to chapter 19 of Matthew, the Pharisees want to talk about what is acceptable grounds for a divorce. See, that's how we humans see things, right? We want to look at the out clause as humans. We want to look at uh, how we maybe escape something that we don't want to be. And we often want to take that easy road. The Pharisees are looking for his answer on this topic. But Jesus wants people to understand marriage to stay together. They want to talk about when a marriage can be broken. He wants to stress how a marriage shouldn't be broken. And I think Jesus is making the point that we should hold on to marriages at virtually every cost. Not because they're important, just because they're important, because he works on the heart. So today we want our emphasis to be on where Jesus' emphasis has it. If you're here today because you want to hear the reasons for a divorce, for how you get out of a marriage, you're here for the wrong reasons. It's a bit like learning how to fly by only learning how to crash land. 
if you think about it. Or learning how to advance as an army only by learning how to retreat. That's, that's not what you learn about. You learn about how to have a great marriage. And that's Jesus' heart here this morning. Bottom line is when we read the scriptures about divorce, it's, it's, it's unmistakable in the scriptures that God is against divorce. That's not news probably to anybody here today. That it's not God's heart for us to have divorce. That his clear heart is that marriages go on and prevail. Not because he's a stickler for the rules. uh, Not because he wants to uh, destroy us or judge us, condemn us. But he wants us to have life. He wants us to have hope. And I want to stress that if you talk to anybody... This is one of my advantages as being a pastor. I talk, obviously, to all different groups of people. I talk to anybody, whether they're technically in the right or the wrong, that have gone through, the, gone through divorce. They'll tell you about the lasting, lingering pain of divorce. It is no easy thing to go through. It is a terribly difficult thing to go through. It wrecks families. But I do want to say, and we're going to be talking about this as we go on, beyond all of that, divorce sometimes can be the right thing. But divorce is never a good thing. God recognises this when he continually reaffirms marriage and he continually says there's a better way, hold on. So I can't talk about divorce without reinforcing that hope that the scripture gives for marriages. However, all that said... The Bible does give some instances where divorce is allowable. And to be honest, the Bible makes it tough. And that makes sense because, again, the Scriptures point us towards leaning back into marriage. But here's my point. I believe these Scriptures aren't here just to scare us away from divorce, but they're ultimately there to shock us into the hope that we have to continue on in our marriages. Notice that Jesus says in the middle of that little passage of Scripture, It wasn't that way in the beginning. See, this is the hope that Jesus gives us. He says, your hearts can be better. Your hearts can be restored to a better way. So let's talk about the limited instances where divorce is permissible. I do want to say this. Uh, General statements uh, are, are difficult when we're talking about divorce because, again, there's so many scenarios that are unique to the individual. There's so many uh, unique Uh, situations that people are in that we've got to look to get to the bottom of things in but really understand what the heart is in that situation here's one if you just want to chew over one conundrum and we're going to jump into this in in a minute but but one question would be but what happens if both parties for instance commit adultery we're going to talk about that in just a moment but what if both spouses commit adultery see the black and white rule there doesn't particularly work does that mean both parties can get a divorce or both parties can't get a divorce and this is why I think it's so important that we're just careful not to be uh, all about just a blanket statement without understanding that we've got to get to the heart of the matter and you'll hear me say again and again this morning leadership's needed discernment is needed a heart is needed to investigate some of these uh, cases so let's have a look though at some of the broad strokes of divorce in the Bible. What are the biblical grounds for divorce? Really just three that I'm going to talk about. First, divorce on the basis of sexual immorality. We've already read this scripture. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness um, 
and marries another woman commits adultery. This is the one we're probably most aware of. This word marital unfaithfulness we tend to associate with adultery or sexual relations with somebody outside of marriage. Sexual sin breaks the marriage covenant. Sex is basically uh, our way or God's way of us signing on the dotted line when it comes to marriage. So when we have sexual relations with somebody outside of marriage, it's, it's like trying to sign on somebody else's contract. It breaks the covenant of marriage. And so God is saying, well, divorce, Jesus is saying divorce is permissible. In that case, you've broken the covenant of marriage. Now, what is interesting here is that Jesus doesn't use the word adultery when he says this. And we need to really take note of that. The, the, the Greek word for adultery is moikia. He could have used that word. In fact, he does use that word about three words later. So we know he was aware of the word. We know that he could have used the word, but he doesn't use that word. He actually uses the Greek word pornea, which represents all sorts of sexual immorality. And this is where we land um, as a church, that Jesus opens up divorce here to be permissible when we see sexual immorality in a marriage. What is sexual immorality? Again, that list is... Uh, quite long. It could be all sorts of things. Illicit sexual intercourse. Of course, adultery is in that list. Uh, Fornication, sex, activity before marriage, homosexuality, lesbianism, uh, intercourse with, uh, with animals, incest. Of course, it's where we get the word pornography from, from. so you can begin to understand this word is a, is an, a word that encompasses a lot of different examples of uncleanness in marriage. But what this means then is that we believe there's grounds for biblical divorce that move beyond adultery and into a list of other possible sexual sins. And of course, this makes sense, doesn't it? Because it means we're breaking the covenant of marriage if we're engaging in these things. And I've heard of situations where churches haven't understood this, Uh, albeit times back I read recently of an example of a church where... Uh, a lady got married uh, to a man that she didn't know was a, a homosexual, but he consummated the marriage with her and then nearly immediately began to um, continue on in his homosexuality. He had homosexual partners come to his home. He was blatant about it, uh, having sex in their living room and, and uh, just breaking the heart of this new wife. And the church at that time said to her, you must stay in the house and you cannot get a divorce because your husband has not committed adultery. And see, Jesus here basically expresses something uh, that makes a lot more sense. But of course, that is breaking the covenant of marriage. Men and women, this should also be a challenge to us at the high call that God gives us in marriage. And it's typical of what Jesus says. Jesus is essentially saying, you, you, there's a higher standard in me. Once it was just about adultery, I'm making it about more than that. I'm making it about sexual immorality. That should be a challenge to us, but again, not to scare us, but to give us hope to say, he's saying that there is a better way. We don't have to be stuck in those things. Ultimately, we can move on beyond them, but they should challenge us. Just to be really specific about this, I'd say things like 
we live in a, in a new world beyond the day of Jesus. But sex over webcams, for instance, would be immorality. Uh, men or women who blatantly and habitually engage in viewing of pornography and indulging of pornography with no repentance, I think you're in dangerous territory. Now, immediately, if you're anything like me, you start asking questions on this. How much sexual immorality? How long does that list have to be? Is it once? Is it habitual? What grade of sexual immorality? And again, all of this takes discernment. But remember, we're not here today to find the escape clause out of marriage. That is not the intent of Jesus. Jesus' intent is to say there is hope in marriage. Jesus' intent would be to say to men or women engaging in sexual immorality, he's already dealt with it in Matthew 5, there's a better way. You don't have to be stuck in those things. With me, I can change your heart. So marriages should stay together. And I also want to add that, just to be clear, Jesus is not commanding divorce here, but he's permitting divorce, and that's a different, different category. Second one, I'll move a bit faster, divorce on the basis of abandonment. Paul talks about marriage in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen. He says, if the unbeliever leaves, married to a believing wife, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Put simply, divorce is permitted when a marriage partner who is not a believer abandons the marriage. Again, this is where discernment is needed. God won't be mocked. And we really got to understand this is not about the letter of the law because the question could go, what if a Christian wife made life so difficult for the unchristian husband that he eventually up and left? Does that mean she's right before God, that it's a biblically sanctioned divorce? Well, of course not. This is why we say all of these things, we've got to be very careful about making blanket statements here. Beyond this, there's more questions. What constitutes abandonment? How long is that abandonment? What happens if somebody claims to be a Christian, yet abandons their marriage? What if they technically hang around, but in all other aspects abandon their marriage? Maybe indulging in um, gambling or not working, not, not interested at all in the relationship. Is that abandonment? These things need discernment. Here's the final one. Divorce on the basis of the broken covenant of marriage. This is probably where we're most in need of good leadership and discernment as pastors and leaders. I'm not actually going to talk much about this one because I think it needs good conversations with people. But bottom line again, this is not a wild card to get out of marriage. That said, we do believe there's cases where the marriage covenant can be broken beyond just sexual immorality or abandonment. The most obvious case here is physical abuse in the marriage relationship. I just want to stress this as a church, that physical abuse is never okay. No circumstance is physical abuse okay. We will counsel any family, wife, to immediately leave if it's unsafe and find safety. If there's physical abuse... Uh, we would say, find safety. And you're, you're perfectly within your God-given rights to do that. Uh, the breaking of the marriage, covenant marriage, will come about always because of hardness of heart. This is what's at the bottom of this that we're talking about right now. Jesus acknowledges hardness of heart. And remember in those scriptures, in Matthew 19 and Matthew 5 and in other places, 
He acknowledges that Moses allowed divorce for this reason of hardness of heart. But remember, Jesus dealt with hardness of heart. Again, I can't go into the complexity of this situation here, but essentially, again, this basis for divorce, again, requires discernment from us. As leaders, if you have questions on that, we'd be happy to answer them. So beyond all of that, you're probably starting to get a picture. There are times when it would seem divorce is both biblical, and I think there's times when divorce is right. A classic example in Scripture is the story of Joseph and Mary. We know that Joseph was led to divorce Mary quietly, the scripture says, and it says that was credited to him as sort of a righteous act. Now, you obviously would think, I think that the righteous part of that was the fact that he wasn't going to embarrass Mary uh, or bring her to public shame, but nonetheless, divorce was involved there and the scripture makes it perfectly clear it's biblical and it's right. And in the same way, we would say there are marriages that are broken because of sexual immorality, hardness of heart, maybe physical abuse, where the right thing in that marriage is for somebody uh, to get a divorce. I'm going to talk about reconciliation in a moment in case you're wondering. Another thing I want to say is God divorced. We see this in the Old Testament, that God divorced his people. In Jeremiah 3.8, it says, I gave faithless, faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of her adulteries. See, God's people were spiritual adulterers and God had given time after time, chance after chance, had called out for reconciliation. God's people had refused that and he said, finally, here's your certificate of divorce, no more. So God gets divorced and he understands divorce. And the love story, of course, is that there's a new covenant for us today we are the church we are his bride but if the lord can divorce his adulterous spouse then divorce must not always be wrong and this is really the heart of what i want to say here this morning many christians can can carry a sense of guilt about a previous divorce and again we need to understand that god understands divorce god god has been divorced and and he accepts divorce in those situations and there is freedom for all of us here today a little bit about reconciliation i keep stressing it but reconciliation is always at the heart of god it's what he's doing for us he reaches out to us and these grounds for biblical divorce always need to be understood in the concept uh, context of god reaching out to us wanting reconciliation and his witness to us being reach out and look for reconciliation in any marriage, even in a case such as adultery, clear-cut. My view would be that divorce shouldn't be the first consideration. It should not be the first option. Reconciliation is the first option. That's God's heart. And God would call us to be generous and giving and loving and to provide that opportunity for reconciliation. It's God's uh, evidence to us in the Scripture. What does reconciliation look like? Again, you might go to the worst cases of physical abuse and you think, what do I, so I just have to reconcile. Is that what we're talking about here? I want to talk quickly about that after adultery, abuse, abandonment, whatever the situation. Reconciliation is not simply entering into the relationship again as though nothing has happened. 
It is not entrusting yourself to a betrayer who is likely to betray again. It's not melting before whatever form of apology a betrayer gives. Repentance is deep. By the way, this, this is true for all areas of our life that we're having to turn around in. Repentance is deep. It's life-changing remorse in the face of our own sin and depravity. It's the betrayer coming to the end of themselves and authentically turning towards those that they've harmed and instead giving harm, bringing blessing. Repentance is not simply an apology. In fact, an apology is merely an admission that somebody has been caught. And I've seen that plenty of times. I want to be let off the hook. Confession is required. James talks about this. Confession spells out the offence in full. Repentance is a well-considered path of measurable change that is demonstrated over time. A transformation is seen and it's confirmed. Trust is regained. Uh, Sometimes it even involves restitution. And sometimes we'll see marriages get to the place where there's better honesty, uh, better trust, better intimacy than existed before, but that takes time. Repentance abandons all forms of violence or sin. And also, in those cases, interestingly, the scripture seems to indicate that us as a husband or a wife, when our spouse is genuinely repentant, that we have a responsibility to forgive. Another question you might be asking, what does Catalyst do if somebody moves to divorce without biblical grounds? You know, I've heard this criticism come against this church. I've actually had it personally. Somebody sort of pointing the finger, saying it about us. I've heard it in general and the blogosphere everywhere out there. Statements like, you know, churches these days are so hard on adultery or sex before marriage or any other list of sexual sins, but you're all fine about divorce. You just let divorce go. You don't do anything about divorce. I just want to say, certainly not true of Catalyst. We take divorce very seriously. I actually don't think it's true of most churches that are out there. We're a large church though, not, not huge, but, but large enough that it can slip under the radar though how often Catalyst is involved in working with marriages and sometimes even bringing about discipline in situations where we clearly don't see that this is a biblical divorce that's taking place. Uh, in my time, even as a church pastor, I can think of at least two instances where we've gone down the journey of church discipline. And uh, I, I, I want to make this clear, church discipline is never a happy occasion. It's not, a, not something where we like to exercise power. Church discipline is always about drawing somebody back into relationship rather than it being about punishment. And it's a difficult thing to work through. But we would work through it if somebody was blatantly just saying the instance of saying, oh, I've just fallen out of love with my spouse and I'm not interested in any reconciliation. Ultimately, we wouldn't jump to it, but ultimately we were working through a process of church discipline. Here's another question. Can a divorced person get remarried? Big question that people have grappled with this one. Like I've already said, I think the context of these scriptures matter. Jesus is making a shocking statement to them about a new heart under a new covenant that supports marriage. I think more than he's trying to institute new laws and new rules about divorce and remarriage. 
But nonetheless, he does make statements about divorce and remarriage and these are the things that we need to listen to. Jesus says in both Matthew 5 and 19, if you remarry apart from sexual immorality, you're committing adultery. But we also see Paul later on include the issue of abandonment and we've already talked about uh, a few other means of breaking the covenant of marriage. So for remarriage, our position as a church is where a divorce has occurred that falls within biblical guidelines that we've already talked about. The person that has not caused that divorce is free to remarry with a clear conscience before God. However, we recognize that damage will be done. Our very loud instruction and counsel would be, there'll be baggage in that, out coming out of that process. The last thing you want to do is rush into a remarriage. Get counsel, get support. Really dis, dis, uh, discern whether you may need to just go through a season of even being single before you get back into another marriage. What about a divorce where you look back? Maybe people here today and you say it was my fault. It was my hardness of heart. It was sexual sin, whatever it might be. Well, again, the scripture's clear. That's a sinful act. Nonetheless, it's recognized that divorce, biblical or, or unbiblical in the circumstances I'm now saying, is never the unforgivable sin. Again, this is where confession and repentance play such an important part. As part of that repentance, this would be our advice. If you and your former spouse are unmarried, consider, is there any chance of restoration? Ask that question. What a trophy of God's grace to bring you back together. Now, you may be here again today and think that that is impossible. And there may be reasons where you're right. It is impossible. But don't forget the disciples themselves were shocked at Jesus' teaching. They were basically saying, people should just remain single. That's just so hard. But Jesus is saying, it's not as hard as you think if you have a heart, if both parties are affected by a heart that is touched by my grace. If that restoration is not possible, then continue to walk in the repentance that you've already found. Uh, Again, my personal view is don't rush into remarriage, uh, whatever you do. Uh, God's grace is enough to heal you and live as a single person for a season, if not indefinitely. Beyond this, can somebody ultimately get remarried? You know what? I don't think there's an easy answer on this. Being black and white, the Bible, it seems, does not allow remarriage, which is another reason why divorce should never be seen as an easy option. But like all things in these cases, this is a complex question. And uh, we would take time to sit with couples and talk it through and understand uh, where everybody's at and what's going on in the heart. One suggestion that seems to be in Scripture is to remain as you are. If you're single, remain single. I certainly want to be clear about this. If you have remarried, uh, I believe the Scripture's clear. Stay remarried. Again, it's not the unforgivable sin. Bottom line here is not a cookie-cutter approach. And you need to talk with us to work a way forward. This may mean a slow process of patience and discussion. You know, we've had times in our church where people have just uh, simply said, I want to get married on this date and, and this is how it's going to work and sort it out. And I, I just got to be fair and say, as a church, we've sometimes slowed that process down because we marry people. Uh, we are answerable ultimately to God in those situations. And uh, it's not our duty just to marry just because uh, it suits you. And 
You know, there are times we've got to walk and talk through that process of remarriage. Uh, there are times when we would remarry, and there are times when we would say we can't remarry as a church. Just another note for those that are already remarried, you've got that revelation that you're responsible for that unbiblical divorce, uh, and you are, again, remarried. Maybe you haven't repented. You know, this is where we get continually to the good news end. This is what the cross is all about. I would just say, run to the cross. Run to the grace of God. You know, it's no small thing to tear a marriage apart, but God's grace is also no small thing. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. There is mercy for you. But the confession must be real. That admission of guilt must be real. That restoration process must be real. Run to God. Plead with God. Know his love. Experience his justifying grace, which we're covered by. And I really want to end with this here this morning, that God has such a heart for divorced people. You know, just a, a comment for those that have been through divorce, no matter whether uh, it's, no matter your involvement, maybe you're in the wrong or the right, or you're not even sure. You know, God himself, again, understands the anguish of divorce. That's why he hates it. But the good news is he sent his son to restore us. In Isaiah 61, which Jesus reads at the beginning of his ministry, what does he say? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know, this passage, if you, if you look at this passage, it has such an emphasis on emotional health and healing. There is extraordinary patience, love and acceptance in Christ. Jesus didn't come to the earth just to save us to heaven. He came to the earth to save us now, to bring us out of these difficulties, to, to heal our lives, to bring us to emotional help, to help those that mourn and grieve. We need to know there is always, always, always restoration for us, no matter our role in a divorce. But I don't want to be glib. I don't want to just say that, you know, that, that's just a moment. You know, I think Jesus takes us through a lifetime of healing, but he does take us through that lifetime of healing if we're willing to walk that process with, with him. So to finish today, I want to go back to the top. You know, Jesus came to give us life. He came to give us a new heart, to make the impossible seem possible. He came to free us, men and women. He came to free us from lust. He came to free us from anger came to free us from contempt and pride and arrogance and selfishness, all of these things that are at the core of a heart that wants to separate in a marriage and causes so much grief in our human situation. Now Jesus says to us, if you understand these things, divorce is going to be the furthest thing from your mind. If you understand the power that I have for you in your, situa- in your situation to free you from these things, You might be thinking about divorce. You'll be celebrating the richness of the marriage that we have, the freedom that I have in Christ. That's his answer to us today. That is what we've got to grab a hold of as believers is that he gives us a new heart and that we can walk in that that situation. So if you're considering divorce today, very possible. 
Maybe you're just mumbling and muttering about a bad, bad marriage. Deal with your own heart. Read Matthew 5 and 6 with a new revelation of what Jesus is talking about. You know, if you haven't accepted the work of Christ in you, if you haven't been born again of the Spirit of God, this is your day. By the way, we had somebody make a faith decision last night in, in Alpha, which is just a, a, was great news this morning. But this is your place to start. Acknowledging our sin our depravity, but acknowledging the goodness and the greatness of God. Without that, I think it's too hard. Jesus says, without, without me, these things are impossible. With, but with God, these things are possible because I change the heart. If you're a believer today, the message is the same. Where is your heart? Do you need to repent? Do you need to reconcile? Do you need to allow God into an area of your heart that you've shut him out? Jesus would say that there is hope. There's hope for broken marriages, for marriages that are on shaky ground, for marriages that have been hurt or maybe on the brink because of sexual immorality or hardness of heart. There is always hope. And this is the message of Christ to us here today. And finally, to those that are secure in your marriage, as we're ending the series right now, guard your marriage. Don't think you're ever above falling. Don't think you're ever above temptation. Pray together. Learn those love languages. Serve each other. There are few things in life more precious than your marriage. Don't take it for granted. I'm going to invite Pastor John up to pray for marriages right now. I just felt my spirit that that's a great thing to do. As he comes, though, I want to pray for those that have gone through the difficulty and, and hurt of divorce. Heavenly Father, I don't personally know the, the tragedy and the heartache of divorce, but you do. You understand it. And that is part of why you sent your son, because you don't want to leave us in that place, because you want to give us hope, God. You want to give us a chance at a new life. God, you want to restore. God, you want to change hearts. God, you want to remove guilt. You want to remove condemnation. And this morning, I pray that prayer for anybody who's got that lingering sense, whether they're to blame or not to blame, whether they've been in the right or, or been in the wrong. Father God, Lord, I pray a prayer of release here this morning. Lord, I pray a prayer of your grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to fall, even in this moment at this time, God, to touch hearts, to begin again a process of healing, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that emotional health would, would rise, God, that the mourning and the grieving, that season of loss, God, would, would come to an end not because of man's words, but because of the Spirit of God falling and touching a heart. And Lord, I thank you for community, for those that come around and love broken people, people going through hard times. Lord, that are ministering the love of Christ. I just remind us all of the responsibility we have to love those that have gone through divorce. Again, no matter the circumstances, to draw them into community. And to remind each and every one of us that we are saved under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love and your restoring heart.
can I ask you to do something now? If you are married, uh, I wonder if you can just stand. If you're on your own here today, but you're married, that's no problem. Stand as well. Uh, again, I'm just going to ask Pastor John just to pray for marriages as we, as we end up here. Thanks, John. Father God, we come before you this morning, Lord. And Lord, whether we are married or single here today, Lord, we are the recipients of your love. Lord, you love us more than we can imagine. Your heart is towards us. Lord, we are precious in your sight. And because, Lord, we are precious in your sight, Lord, when we come into a marriage, you have given us charge of another life. You have given us responsibility over another life. And even of children that come of that marriage. And so, Father, we come to our marriages with great seriousness, with great reverence, Lord, and we pray, Father, that even as we've heard teaching that has, that has told us what marriage is and what marriage is not, Lord, it's our desire that we would follow in the, the good teaching that we've received in what your word reveals about marriage. And Father, I pray today, Lord, as we think about our marriages, as we think about our spouse, as we think about our children, Lord, we would endeavor by the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death pride to put to death selfishness, to put to death thoughtlessness when we come to our marriages. And Lord, we would seek instead to love even as you have loved us. Lord, to love as you have, as you have loved your church, that we would turn that love towards our spouse, towards our children. Lord, I pray you would help us to serve one another even as you have served us. So, Lord, I just pray your blessing upon our marriages today, upon my marriage, upon every marriage that is represented here today. Lord, we pray your rich blessing upon it. Lord, breathe renewal, breathe freshness upon our marriages even today. Lord, as even go from this place, Lord, having, in a sense, renewed our vows before you, that we're going to love, we're going to love at a higher level than we have loved before. Oh, Lord, I thank you for every marriage here. I thank you for the opportunity that it presents to testify of you into our communities, into our wider families, into the world around us. So, Father, I pray that we would take that charge seriously this morning to honour you in our marriages. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, we've done it. We made it to the end of a marriage series. I think it's done us good. Um, I just to continue to encourage you, invest in your marriage. There's that great book, The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller, which has been a great help to us in this series. Next week, new series, A Blessed Life. How do we enter into that blessed life? And uh, looking forward to that. Otherwise, we're done. Uh, fight your way through the renovations. Head over to the cafe and join, uh, enjoy a time of community.